0: Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God.
1: Okay. The prophetic, uh, 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 the Holy Spirit uh, uh, as a mechanism of prophecy here. Isaiah 61, there's a lot here. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the, and here we're going to see it again, to who? The poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothing instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. So, you know, we've already seen in Isaiah 42... Uh, This idea of a a leader that's going to come that is going to be focused on the less fortunate, those who are oppressed, those who are downtrodden, those who are suffering, and those who mourn. This echoes that. But now, it's not God saying, here's my leader and this is what he's going to do. Now, the leader is speaking directly. And this is very unusual. You only have, I think it's two cases in Scripture. One is Malachi, and I can't remember the other one right now, but where a prophet actually says, the Spirit is on me. Just FYI, just so you know. We only have that happening, Those two. it's very rare. Here, here uh, this, this person says that, and we have this person as kind of this hybrid prophet slash political leader because they're proclaiming what's going to happen they're proclaiming that the Lord's on the march essentially and then they're claiming that they will be the ones who are going to bring about this transformation. His sole focus is on what kind of people? The marginalized. The suffering. I and mean, he just repeats it over and over again. And what's, what is it about these people, because I, I mentioned this theme earlier, what is it that's unique or is, I should say is common amongst any one of these kinds of people? What would be a commonality amongst those who are poor or those who have been oppressed or those who are mourning or those who are prisoners, those who are captives? If you're a captive, what is your life like? Yeah, like, could you, would you say that you're living to the full if you're a captive? Or would you say that your human potential is being restricted? If you're in mourning, are you really able to live to the full? Or is your behavior going to be restricted? Who, you're, who you are in that moment, right? Exactly. What God's going to do is he's going to reverse that. Again, this theme of he is going to bring humanity into its full potential. He's going to restore the whole of our life to what it should have been.
2: At the beginning of two there, the year of the Lord's favor. That kind of, I don't know
1: ties linguistically, but it reminds me of the year of Jubilee. Absolutely. And to some degree, Jesus represents the year of Jubilee because we've all been forgiven. No question. What's the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee has two main things that happen. One is captives go free. And the other is Debt. debts. Debts are are are, are wiped clean, mm-hmm. right? And then the
2: land that is restored
1: to the original owners. Correct. Yep. So our original inheritance is brought through the agent of Christ. Right. We're set free. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you think about that and apply it to Jesus, at least in his uh, the ministry that has already happened, he didn't go to prisons mm-mm. and set prisoners free. Mm-mm. So, you know, we, we could be talking about something that's going to happen in the
1: second coming or we could be talking about the fact that he said that uh, you're captive to your sin mm-hmm. and that he's going to set us free from our sin. Correct. Um, anyway. No, know? I think you're dead right, Matt. And I think that, it, it, you know, I think there's definitely some literalness to those who mourn and those who are oppressed and justice ultimately coming in the end. But I think that there's a metaphorical aspect of this as well in that we are all captives. But his, his, you can just see that God's eye is on the sparrow, so to speak, right? His, his mind, his focus is on those who hurt, who are, who, are, who are basically not able to live and be that which he intended them to be. And that's what he's going to restore. And that's what Isaiah is all about. The whole book of Isaiah is about the lordship of God. God's going to, God's kingdom is, and he's going to reestablish it all, and he's going to reign over it, and all these things are going to take place. And we're just seeing that the Holy Spirit's going Spirit uh, plays a big role in that because the Holy Spirit is what's in empowering this leader um, to be the mechanism of that transformation.
2: But wouldn't you say in this, in this age that... It's the church's responsibility to be setting the captive free and
1: ministering yeah. to the poor. And it's so funny that you mentioned that, Mike, because a big theme of Isaiah is also the fact that human agency is very important to God's fulfillment of his plan. Absolutely.
2: A good friend of mine was the first director of that program down in a South Texas prison that started a seminary mm-hmm. inside the walls. And I'd make the argument that they're still in those
1: walls, but those guys' lives are completely
2: different. Mm. Free. Mm, so good. It has nothing to do with the If you watch the documentary,
1: and so and cool. Okay. The next part is we've seen so far that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit was very active in the creation events. But the Holy Spirit is also very active in the recreation events that are going to take place. And, you know, if you want to think eschatologically, eschatology meaning the study of last things, the study of end times, what we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit's going to be very, very active in restoring creation. Isaiah 32 is a great passage for us to look at in this regard. 32 and 44 are going to illustrate this. Indeed, a king will reign righteously and rulers will rule justly. Each will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the rain, like flowing streams in a dry land, and the shade of a massive rock in an arid land. Then the eyes of those who will see will not be closed, and the ears of those who will hear will listen. The reckless mind will gain knowledge, and the stammering tongue will speak clearly and fluently. A fool will no longer be called a noble, nor a scoundrel said to be important. That's a verse for our time right there. (laughs) So, I only started this, I wanted you to see the context of how Isaiah 32 starts. It's projecting this future kingdom, this future set of events. Now, if we skip down to verse 15, it says... There's this strong uh, assumption of the continuation between the present and the future. It says, Until the Spirit from on high is poured out on us, then the desert will become like an orchard, and the orchard will seem like a forest. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness, and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet, confidence, forever." Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place and a safe and secure dwelling, or in safe and secure dwellings. But hail will level the forest and the city will sink into the depths. You will be happy as you sow seed beside abundant water and as you let oxen and donkeys range freely. Okay, so the Spirit on high is going to be poured out on us. And then let's look at all the effects of the Holy Spirit that we're going to see here. First, the desert's going to become an abundant land. Then justice and righteousness are going to inhabit the land. And then peace and confidence and trust are going to be ordained for God's people. A peaceful habitation, secure dwelling, and quiet resting place are promised to everyone who is in his kingdom. And then happiness is assured, all as a result of the pouring out of God's Spirit on us. Now this reminds me, of Psalm 23 where we are told that we're gonna have this aspect of life where we just live in this fertile place and where we don't fear death and where we have abundance and where goodness is gonna follow us all the days of our life and so this is when we have God's sovereign reign restored to every aspect of human life by the way side note if you're ever studying heaven we just looked at a good place to look for some clues of what heaven will be like, because actually, uh, it says there that uh, we will have, uh, or in the previous verse rather, there's going to be a king, and the the uh, the king's going to reign righteously, and there will be rulers who rule justly. What does that tell you about heaven? There will still be a hierarchy. That's right,
2: and, and animals.
1: And animals, thank you. Okay, um, this phrase "poured out on us" is also significant. The Spirit, especially this creation aspect of the Spirit, doesn't drop on trees and deserts. Who does the Spirit f- fall on? Us. So how do the trees in the deserts and all that turn into so much abundance? It's not that the Holy Spirit fell on the desert; the Holy Spirit fell on us. Get to work. It's because now we are now reigning as we should have. We are now the agents of the Spirit's recreation process. We're well,
2: good because it's going to take a spirit to give me a green thumb. <laughs> <laughs> now Scott, you've been to, yeah, to Israel. Yeah, and they'll tell you before. You know the 1880s before the Jews started coming back it was just a swamp messy mosquito that's right and the Jews have restored that to just a beautiful place that's right mm-hmm. and uh, I was just thinking about that mm-hmm. when we were talking about it. it's you want it to happen like magic like in a cartoon mm-hmm. but God is laying the foundation for when his feet hit the, hit the Mount of Olives um, he's going to rule and reign from there and as Paul says you're bickering amongst yourselves don't you know you're going to rule and reign right even judge the angels
1: right well and justice happens not because just uh I don't know we, we like we like to think of well he's on the throne so of course there's justice but there's all this hierarchy of people who are filled with his spirit who they make right judgments they discern correctly they never do the unjust thing they're his agents And then notice that it's not an individual thing. It's a collective thing. His Spirit is poured on us. So this gets to your point. And by the way, you know, we could argue that this passage should have already started to be fulfilled. And in many ways has begun to be fulfilled. Because where Christians and the church has operated as it's called to, we see abundance. We see justice flow. It's where Christians have not done that or they've, you know, been absentee or they've relegated to some other, you know, power source that we have, we still have a lot of the problems in the world. So, um, okay, the Holy Spirit's impact through people has effect on everything, the physical world, land, uh, the, you know, animals. I just really like the idea of donkeys ranging freely. I mean, that's just really powerful. Okay. Okay. Um, Isaiah 63, by the way, is just real quick. I just would say we have this idea of the Sabbath. Who is this coming from Edom in crimson-stained garments from Bozrah? This one who is splendid in his appeal, striding in his formidable might. It is I, proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Why are your clothes red and your garments like one who treads a winepress? I trample the winepress alone. And no one... (coughs) I'm sorry... I trampled the winepress alone and no one from the nations was with me. I trampled them in my anger and ground them underfoot in my fury. Their blood spattered my garments and all my clothes were stained. So again, I wanted to just give you the context of how this Isaiah 63 is starting. This is um, this figure, this messianic figure that says he's coming. Well, fast forward verse 7 I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love he said they are indeed my people children who will not be disloyal and he became their savior in all their suffering he suffered and the angel of his presence saved them he redeemed them because of his love and compassion he lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. Then he remembered the days of the past, the days of Moses and his people. Where is, where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among the flock? And then the fast forward one more time. Like cattle that go down in the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people this way to make a glorious name for yourself. Why is this interesting? It's interesting because when we think of the Holy Spirit, what do we most talk about modern day when we talk about the Holy Spirit? What's the, the biggest topic for people when they think of the Holy Spirit, especially in, in, in like American Protestantism? Mm-hmm.
2: Like how do we connect with the Holy Spirit? Does He speak to us?
1: Really, I don't think anybody's saying that. I think you're saying that. I hear that. I hear gifts of the spirit, slain in the spirit. You know, speaking in tongues. Uh, We've got to go get. We got to go to this. Like, are y'all a spirit-filled church or a not spirit-filled church? And what they're saying there is, are y'all a place where I will hear people speaking in tongues and dancing in the aisles or not? Right. That's what. That's what that question really translates into. Yeah. So it's all about out here. Correct it's all about power the dunamis it's all about being able to do something extraordinary and what it, what is the result when the Holy Spirit really uh, is active he gives us what rest the Holy Spirit is not just the mechanism for these extraordinary outward manifestations the Holy Spirit is the mechanism for a supernatural peace a supernatural rest as well. Isaiah 44, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will sprout among the grass like poplars by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will use the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and take on the name of Israel. The... um. The uh, image of water is used repeatedly uh, to describe the spirit uh, throughout Scripture, and, and the spirit's abundance. And here, just like in Isaiah 32, uh, we see that idea. And in both cases, the coming of the Spirit brings life. It restores that which is thirsty. It restores that which is diminished.
2: Um, yep. Is water really physical water or is that the spirit?
1: Well I think that this is this is metaphorical what he's saying right here I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground yeah okay so we see the creation idea that we've seen throughout the Old Testament now in Isaiah we're really focusing on recreation re- revitalization restoring that which has been broken any thoughts or last questions on the creation Uh, tradition in Isaiah. All right, last one. Wisdom. Of course, this has been a big one from the wisdom literature. Isaiah 31 through 2 says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who set out to go down to Egypt without asking my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt?" So the Israelites were seeking to make an alliance politically with Egypt. It seemed to make sense on paper, but they didn't seek the Lord's guidance. And once again, here we see that the Holy Spirit is the source of wisdom. And so he is chastising them for ignoring him, for not seeking his spirit in order to determine what they should do next. I actually, when I was studying this this week, um, I don't know why, I just got convicted. Like how many times in my life have I felt like, well... I'm in the Word, I'm in prayer, I'm you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I'm redeemed. So I can use my own logic to really think if something makes sense or not, and not really take the choice of this or that to the Lord specifically. Does that make sense? Like like, okay, Lord, I know on paper this all lines up, but is this really what you want me to do and see whether His spirit affirms that? Or not. I just got convicted about when I was reading this that because on paper, if you look at what the Israelites did, it made all the sense in the world. And God said that was not the right thing to do. Yes?
2: It reminds me of the saying I've heard before that God helps those that help themselves.
1: (laughs) That would not be biblical. (laughs) That is, uh, I don't know, that's 2nd Tom. Chapter 3, verse 2, or something like that. I
2: heard
1: it. No, I'm kidding you, man. I'm kidding you. Okay, so Isaiah 40, this is another very famous passage. Um, it's an important chapter because it opens this new section in which nations and their idols are challenged uh, to firmly establish that God is supreme. Isaiah 40, verse 9 through 12, Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly, raise it, do not be afraid, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength and His power establishes His rule. His wages are with Him and His reward accompanies Him. He protects His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them in the fold of His garment. And then that precedes this. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? So this section is arguing for the omnipotence of God, right? And then verse 13 and 14 immediately follow it with this rhetorical question. What do you think the answer to these questions is? No one. Do, do you recognize these questions at all? Do they sound familiar to you? Job. Exactly. Job, God asked these types of things of Job as well. But notice all of the different connections between wisdom and the Spirit. Who directed the Spirit of the Lord? Who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Um, taught him paths of justice? Taught him knowledge? Um showed him the way of understanding. So again, we see the connection between wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's the four spirit traditions in Isaiah we just covered, leadership, prophetic, creation, and wisdom. The main emphasis of the Spirit in Isaiah are life and power. The stress for leadership is on empowering the leader to go out and Transform the community, to transform the nation, and to enable these downtrodden people to be all that they were intended to be. To keep them uh, free from enemy threats, to keep them th- free from violence, from injustice. Um, and again, the weakest members of society were top of mind. Uh, from a prophetic perspective, um, allow the figure to bring liberation to the oppressed to to speak uh, liberation but also to actually enact the liberating deed itself um, creation again we said the whole of the whole person the, the fullness of humanity is what God is restoring and the Holy Spirit's involved not just in creation but in recreation and uh, the creation of the universe is the work of God's wisdom through the Spirit. And the wisdom spirit tradition reveals that the spirits work in making proper discernment and right decisions so God's people would enjoy fullness of life. Any thoughts or questions on Isaiah? Yes, sir.
0: Where i without just glazing over thinking, oh, I
1: don't get you. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, My favorite book, personally. I would say, um, first of all, just understand what the major theme is. The major thesis is the lordship of God, that he is sovereign over the nations. He's sovereign over Israel. And that everything about Isaiah is, you know, that all the foreign gods are going to go away. All the injustice is going to go away. All the oppression is going to go away. There's going to be this messianic king that comes and restores everything. And there's major sections of Isaiah. In fact, I could give you a little outline, but there's there's a couple of major sections where the approach of the writer is completely different, and you want to make sure you're reading each section in alignment or with that thought in mind as you go through it. I
2: remember, There's 66 chapters in Isaiah and there's 66 books in the, in the Bible. <laughs> A, I think it's one of the most important books in the Old Testament, personally.
1: So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, now,
2: was he prophesying during captivity? I'm trying
1: uh, to think. It was before. Before. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Right. By the. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he sawed in half with a wooden sword? that's, a, that's rumor
1: has it. <laughs> yeah. That's uh So. Isaiah's about God's going to restore the world through His chosen individuals. Who's the number one chosen individual that's going to restore the world? Jesus. Exactly. The Messiah. At, at this point, Isaiah would have just said the Messiah because he didn't know His name was Jesus yet. But yes, the Messiah. And then, as we see throughout Isaiah, though, it's not just going to be the Messiah. There's going to be a second group of people that are involved. Yes. Those who are aligned to the Messiah, those who bow the knee to the king, the Davidic king. And this gets back to a conversation we've had many times, which is the gospel is not solely about salvation. I have to be very clear when I say solely, okay, because uh, I'm not saying that salvation isn't a major factor in the gospel, but the actual gospel is about the king who's been promised has shown up. And their kingdom has been established. And all of these things that were supposed to happen in conjunction with the kingdom are now available to you. And so you should get into that kingdom. You should be in that kingdom and not outside that kingdom. And when you're in that kingdom, you're saved as well. Salvation is the byproduct of being in the kingdom. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here. Is he's going to work through people who are in his kingdom and who recognize his full lordship.
2: Do you think... uh isaiah was thinking about the Abrahamic covenant at all
1: what do you mean by that
2: just that you know the promise to abraham that your descendants would be as the sand of the shore and the stars in the heavens and that covenant that god made to him um that you know was not just to the jewish people yeah i guess but to everybody but I, i don't know if
1: isaiah well, I don't know. What, I mean, I, we can't speculate what he was personally thinking, but we definitely see that what he was led to write by the Holy Spirit's power, he refers multiple times throughout Isaiah of people who are outside of the nation of Israel receiving these blessings and that the preaching will be going to all the nations of the world and that they're all, like every nation is going to end up being touched by whatever happens with this future coming king. Definitely. Yeah. You
2: know, why they saw only one of the two Messiah's
1: so. Yeah, well I think a lot of it too is what you know people people like to hear what they want to hear. Okay. Yeah. And we tend to uh, we tend to become very myopic. And uh good thing we're not like that mm-hmm. in, America, in modern America.
2: We yeah, gotta have some glasses and we gotta do this.
1: Yeah. Okay, well that wraps up Isaiah and uh, next week we will do Jeremiah, we'll do Ezekiel and then we're going to really quickly just hit all 12 of the minor prophets because there's just little bullet point references and we should be done with the Old Testament and then we'll get into the stuff you're talking about and the gifts and all of the New Testament impact of pneumatology. All right, God bless you guys.
0: Thanks for listening. We pray this has been Edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout-out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is scottrossonline. That's scottrossonline, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.